Welcome to Talking Giants presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner. Not here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We got our annual mid, uh, mid-round prospect preview with Nick Filato. Um, so we're going to get right into that. You know, not wasting your time. We'll announce Patreons on the Friday show. Friday, beginning of draft month, we're going to be reviewing the edge. So really excited about that. So really tune in for us for the next month. But we're here to talk mid-round guys with Nick Filato. So this is the soft launch of draft month, even though it's not draft month. Got a mock draft video coming out Monday, too. Going to be a lot of good stuff. Uh, so we're going to kick it to the Nick Filato interview. But before that... This episode is brought to you by DraftKings. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest term of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Really disappointed in Miami. Was feeling real cocky at halftime and then just Kansas was too uh, big and fast, essentially. And then St. Peter's was like, okay, well, at least I'll be able to have some rooting interest in St. Peter's. Nope. Uh, but but we got UNC Duke, uh, Villanova, Kansas. I mean, it's, it's a blue blood invitational. Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can still join the college hoops actions with DraftKings pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code JOHNBOY. Bet $5 on any college hoops you to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code JOHNBOY this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. See you next band. Woo! All right, and now we're going to kick it to a big blue banter, Nick Filato. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa! All right, we now welcome on for our annual episode. It's the episode we do before our official draft month kicks off. We have Nick Filato of the Big Blue Banter Podcast going through six mid-round prospects, and we usually wander off and go down rabbit holes talking about the draft too. Um, I will say, Nick, you know, one, how you doing? But there's like there's got to be some type of heavy weight on your shoulders because you know we only talk about six guys. And 2020, we talked about Matt Pear. And 2021, we talked about Ellison Smith. So if you could do it three, like two years in a row, it's like, oh, that's a fun fact. Three years in a row, it's like, okay, you just flat out know what the Giants want in the mid-rounds. I appreciate that. And I am doing well, Bobby. It's always great to talk NFL draft and just Giants with you. But yeah, the the weight is pretty heavy on my shoulders right now. And I'm not going to lie, when the draft rolls around, I'm going to be crossing my fingers, hoping that one of these guys ends up wearing blue. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, Six guys on this. There's two that I would be thrilled thrilled with. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're talking uh, Drake Jackson, edge out of USC, Leo Chanel, Wisconsin linebacker, Damone Clark, Greg Dulcich, Luke Fortner, and then Cam uh, Taylor-Britt. So uh, those, are, those are the six guys we're hitting on if you didn't see it in the episode description. Um, how are you, before we get into it, how are you feeling about the Giants at pick five and seven? I know we talked a little bit of, about it before we, we hit record, but are you like... Are you praying for one of those tackles at five? Would you have like an opinion on the Ahmad Gardner versus Kayvon debate? So I haven't watched Ahmad Gardner, but I just put out a piece at Big Blue View on Wink Martindale's importance with cornerbacks in his system over edge. But with that said, I really liked Kayvon Thibodeau's tape. I was a big fan of what he could offer. I watched a lot of his tape, all the tape that I could get my hands on. I don't know where the narrative came from that he takes plays off. I don't either. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like I didn't find a single rep. 
No, I didn't find any reps of that. I actually found it that he was making consistent plays on the backside in pursuit and really just kind of playing with his hair on fire. Excellent competitive toughness. So I understand people are a little bit have reservations, I guess you could say about the Joel Klatt interview that happened in January. We kind of took a slight at Alabama and talked about life after football and, you know, how these old heads in the NFL will look at that and be like, hmm, this guy doesn't love football. We don't know if we can draft him. I think that's a little bit overthinking it because I think if you get this guy, he's going to be an immediate impact player. So I would like to get KT, but in terms of my ideal situation, I want the Giants... A trade back is definitely on my mind, but I want the Giants to get that right tackle because I think right tackle is the glaring need. There are a lot of needs, but the glaring need right now, because I don't think the Giants can go into the season relying on a Matt Gano or a Matt Parrott who's coming off of an injury. So I think you need to get that right tackle. And I would love to have an Evan Neal or an Iki Aquano. still have to watch Aquano, but I feel like I would like him. With Andrew Thomas for the next, what, decade, hopefully, if they sign contracts, second contracts with the Giants. So I really want to secure the tackle position. Got to fix that offensive line and find Wink Martindale a piece. But if the Giants can trade back at seven or even five and have someone come up, get draft capital for next year, pick up, you know, two extra day two picks in this draft, because this is a very, very deep draft. I think I would be hard pressed to say no to that. And that's one of the Best things I love about this draft process, specifically in this year, Bobby, and I want to get your opinion on this. It's just so deep. And there are so many avenues to which Joe Shane can take where I feel like it's going to be successful. And that's something that I love. We're starting new. The expectations are low right now. And I think the ability to grow and build this roster in the image of what this coaching staff and Joe Shane want, I think it's something that is very alluring and it's a different kind of feel right now. And I'm appreciative of that. I agree with you with the tackle take. Like, there's a lot of holes on this team, but right tackle is the most glaring. It's the hardest to do with a vet minimum deal in free agency, um, and it's it's the hardest one to be have a bad player at and be able to operate. You know, because they do want to be able to operate their offenses and defenses this year. Where you know you could put a vet minimum guy at nose tackle, you can put a you know a vet minimum guy as your you know, your tight end and not be stressing about it. But you put a vet minimum guy at right tackle, and that's a huge issue. Or like you said, Matt Gano, or, you know, you can't trust Matt Parrott coming off of the injury. Um, and we didn't even get it. We didn't even get any Matt Parrott starts where it was just, hey, we're starting him over Nate Solder last year. Um, so that's where I feel. So, like, the only way I wouldn't want to trade back is if, like, hey, one of the tackles is off the board. We're at five, and it's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking one of those tackles. But, yeah, I would love to trade back. Um, because there are so many holes. Like I, I haven't remember the, the last time the Giants went into a draft where they had so many needs, like so many needs at starting spots and depth spots, and it's it's changed the way I like you know prep for the first round. Where in previous years, it's I kind of know have an idea of what positions to really nail in on. With this year, it's like you got to nail in on the top guys at every single position, even wide receiver. Like don't be, like I wouldn't be blown away if they trade back to 12, 13 and pick one of the wide receivers. It's like okay, do you got to do your wide receiver prep at the top of the round? So yeah, I, I would love for a trade back, um, but at the end of the day, like my biggest goal for this draft is get that right tackle hole filled. And I always think about that right tackle before we get into these six prospects. I think this is an interesting exercise to have with you because I know you really know the Giants as well. If they do not land an icky and they don't sign somebody who's competent and they don't get Evan Neal, you have the options of Charles Cross, right? And there's a lot of talk on the timeline right now of Charles Cross. Now it's a little bit of a projection because he's never played right tackle. I like the idea of Cross, but that is such a big risk. And I know Brandon Thorne, who is an offensive line expert, talks about the 
the transition from an air raid blocking scheme and the splits that Charles Cross is going to have to kind of adjust to and how different that is in a pro style offense in the NFL. It's going to be a big adjustment. I like the idea of cross, but I can't go into that and be like, yeah, for certain, this is going to definitely work out. Now, Giants could go in another direction in the first round. Then you have other tackles in this draft. I've heard a lot of good things about Washington State's Abe Lucas, who is a who is a right tackle, who played right tackle out there. So I'm wondering if there is somebody a little bit later in this draft that they could get at tackle who could be an adequate addition early, who could be groomed into a solid developmental piece, or maybe more than a developmental piece, but a solid starter. And this draft class is deep and even at tackle everywhere. So I'm wondering if that's something they could do. I got to watch a little bit more film on those day two tackles though. Yeah. You know, I, I got to watch more. Daniel Falele uh, out of Minnesota. I, now the thing that scares me is that he is 387 pounds. And it's like, can that guy hold up health wise, you know, but if you can guarantee health, I'm like, okay, if, if you promise me we can get him in the second round, I'm fine with that. Like I like him a lot more than most people do. Um, and especially if you're putting him at right tackle and you're putting him with Bobby Johnson, who's not going to put him in a lot of vertical sets, you know, you're going to have him 45, uh, setting jump setting, um, there, but I just think you look at the history of it and I kind of hate doing this with the draft. Cause like we'll talk about players and not trends all the time, but it's like, you look at the history, I man, it's like, it's hard to find good tackle play, you know? And it's, it is, and it's much harder when you, once you leave that first round, like much, much harder. Like you look at the starting tackles and the good ones, they're almost all first rounders. It's very rare. You have a really good tackle who wasn't a first round pick. Um, so cross and listen, if they trade back into the twenties, I'd be more open to the cross idea, but I am, uh, uh, that's my biggest fear right now is that the Giants see that glaring hole and they settle on cross at five or seven. Yeah, I have that same fear, especially if you're talking about taking a cross over a Kayvon Thibodeau or over a sauce or a player yeah. like that. That's where I would have a, a big problem with doing that. Although I like the traits and the idea of cross, there's just so much more that go into his evaluation because of the system that he played in college. Right. All right, let's, let's get into these six guys. Yeah, we want to talk start on the offensive uh, side and I think since the Giants don't really have a starter at this or they don't have a starter unless you are you know really high on Ricky Seals Jones tight end this guy is fun and I think the conversation around him especially from a Giants uh, fan point of view with just having the Evan Ingram experience for five years is going to be pretty interesting yeah with you want to start with Greg Dolchik yeah UCLA tight end Greg Dolchik's I thought Dolchich. we were going to go with Fortner, my my guy out of Kentucky. But well, let's go, let's go, let's go, Fortner then. With you know, the offensive line's important. We'll, so we'll, we're teasing Dolkich. Let's start with the Kentucky uh, center slash guard, Luke Fortner. Okay, so Fortner, I came across his tape studying Darian Kennard, who was a right tackle at Kentucky, and I thought Kennard he, he he'd probably be ideal if you plug him in as a guard, because he's a little bit heavy footed balance issues, all those things. But I was watching his tape. And in the first game, I was like, dude, who the heck is this center? This guy's probably going to be a good prospect in a couple of years. Let me look him up. I was like, Oh dude, this guy's draft eligible right now. And he's already committed to going to the draft. He was a redshirt senior. So he's not going back to school. And I just felt like he was wildly smart, understood angles, understood leverage, and wasn't necessarily totally strong at the point of attack, but did an excellent job in space, climbing up to the second levels. If they kicked him out on screens, he was good at locating. And I felt like he always drove his feet through contact, did a good job resetting his hands and kind of hand technique, hand fighting. My one, I guess, issue with him was power at the point of attack. I didn't think it was glaring, but I did see just you know a little bit of reservations here as to why he might not be talked about with some of the other interior offensive linemen. Since that evaluation that I wrote up for Sports Illustrated, 
I feel like a lot more national people are talking about Luke Fortner, but I look at him and I honestly think, you know, six foot four, 307 pounds, 33 and eighth inch arms didn't blow the combine away by any means, but this dude's a mechanical engineer major. You're talking about one of the positions in football that you need brains. If you're going to set protections and do all of those things, Fortner offered all that. And one of the better, I, you know, one of the more, I guess you could say, creative offenses at Kentucky with Will Levis at quarterback, yeah. Kennard, you know, so I'm looking at day two, possibly day three. I don't know if you'd fall to the fourth round giants need interior offensive line help. They need depth. And I think Luke Fortner was somebody that I appreciated for the New York giants in that range of the draft. Yeah. I agree with you at, at the point of attack. Like when you see the difference when he's single blocking versus, do, you know, working double teams, when he's those single blocks for the no tackles, he just doesn't get that first pop. Well, I will say that I think is the most impressive out of him is his hand strength. Like, you see him torquing guys, you know, and, and that works with the, the double team. Whenever a defensive lineman, you know, tries to shift his weight or, or redirect, like, he's torquing. I mean, there's even t- reps versus Jordan Davis of Georgia where he's putting jo- Jordan da- – he's torquing Jordan Davis on the ground. That's something that Nick Gates was actually really good at because, you know, Nick Gates didn't have, like, the greatest pop at the – at the point, like you said, but you know, had that sh- those that hand strength to torque guys and working with angles. Um, and he also, so- man, like just the tight, the tightness of the punch, right? It was direct. It wasn't wide. He wasn't tonging. It was direct, and it was blow to high, quick and efficient. Get your hands inside and use that torque. And I felt like he understood leverage, despite the fact that he's six foot four, so it's a little bit taller for a center. I feel like that's you know kind of average. I think Nick Gates is six foot five, but he understood, like you said, that torque and had that good grip strength. He has ten plus inch hands, so. There's a lot to, uh, I feel like, like about the interior offensive line class in terms of the depth. Fortner's one of the guys that I really like. There's Cam Jurgens from Nebraska. I don't know if you watched him yet. He's really interesting because he's he was a tight end convert who started playing center, so he's a little bit new to the position, but just wildly athletic. Another one who's excellent at taking angles, the precise right angles of attack, which obviously you know as an offensive lineman is one of the more underrated parts of playing the offensive line. So between him, Cam Jurgens from Nebraska, and Luke Fortner from Kentucky. I hope the the Giants end up with one of those guys somewhere late day two, early day three. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, he's got the good frame. I, I view Fortner as kind of like a hey, year one, stash him, let him work on the things he needs to work on, um, and then you know, year two, reevaluate him. Um, you mentioned getting to like he's not athletic, but like he makes up for it, like you said, with angles, like getting to the second level, like he gets to the second level in a hurry. And he delivers, he delivers a nice blow. Like, when he has, like, the strength advantage, like, he wins those reps consistently, you know. And so when he's going up against a linebacker, I mean, he's he's tossing around uh, guys a lot. My biggest worry, though, is, like, like in pass blocking, like, I, I feel like when, like, he's decent at mirroring. But when he, when the defensive lineman is going the opposite way of his first step, he has a hard time recovering. And I just don't see, like, there's always going to be struggles pass blocking. But I just... I want to see more like great reps out of Luke Fortner in the pass blocking. Like, listen, I, I'm not perfect games, obviously in the mid round, but I I wish there were more like, man, this is a rep that gets me excited in the pass blocking game, and I feel like it's he's getting good results the majority of the time, but there's just never like those dominant reps. I think that's a fair critique, but again, I think in that area of the draft, these are the types of players that you're looking for, just competency. And another thing, he is versatile as well. He played center the entire year in 2021 but before that he was playing left guard he has a lot of snaps at right guard as well and as we know with the depth that the giants have had along their offensive line or the dearth of depth i should say versatility is a key it was a big part of what joe judge wanted for the team and i think it's going to be a big part of what joe shane brian dable want and what really any any nfl team wants 
Yeah, and you know they just signed John Feliciano, who you know isn't anything to write home about, but like you can, he can be a, a stopgap starter, um, and you know not. And I think that's key with this new regime of offensive line is investing in it, not just like I right, we draft this guy, he's going to be the guy to start. Like let these guys sit and you know let kind of the best man win at the spot where in the last four, you know four years has been guys have been thrown in way too quickly. Like Shane Lemieux was thrown in too quickly. You know, like I love Shane Lemieux as a fifth round pick, but as a rookie, he's going to struggle, you know? Um, so it'd be like, it'd be awesome to get a guy like Luke Fortner, like on day three, and then let him sit for a year. And like I said, re reevaluate after that first year. I think that's fair. And in terms of Shane Lemieux too, I I'm wondering with Luke Fortner, I think Luke Fortner would be better than Lemieux in that rookie season in terms of his ability to handle even power off the snaps. I would agree. And I have it in my evaluation the pop and the power at the point of attack isn't necessarily there with Fortner. But I think one of my biggest gripes with Lemieux, if we go back to that rookie season in 2020, was right off the snap, if someone hit him with a power move, he couldn't really readjust. There was some sort of balance issue once he was hit with that initial power. I think Fortner is a little bit better than him in that area. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree with that. And that's where I said, like, hey, he doesn't have the dominant pass blocking reps, but he doesn't have the ugly ones either because he's able to, to readjust. Um, before we move on to the next guy, you mentioned Darian Kennard. He's the most frustrating player in the draft to me because he has like everything you want. You know, obviously, you know, I agree with you moving from tackle to guard, but it's so, so sloppy. Like he's a sloppy player. And it's like, man, like I, he would be, if I was, you know, a scout, it's like, that would be, he'd be my number one. Like I need to talk to this guy, figure out his work ethic type of thing, because it's like, man, you love everything he's working with, but there's just a lot that needs to be uh, fixed about his game. Well, you brought up Falele before, and similar, Kennard's about 40 pounds less, which is just insane to think about, but Kennard was probably playing overweight last year, and he did cut some weight, if I'm not mistaken, when he went down to the Reese's Senior Bowl and while he was at the Combine, which in theory will make you quicker. I still have questions about that foot speed, that ability to frame blocks when you're out on an island, and that's why he's being projected as a guard and not a tackle, despite the fact that he was pretty adamant at the Reese's Senior Bowl, like, I'm a right tackle, I'm going to be a right tackle. I'm like, homeboy, man, you might want to kick inside and, and, and play guard if I'm going to be real with you. I think he the power and the drive on contact that he provides is going to appeal to these power rushing teams. I mean, you have that guy down block, like a four eye or a three technique. If you do align him at tackle or one technique, if you have him at guard, it's going to, that, that player is going to move. He's going to generate that kind of pop on contact and that power that you need that is necessary. But man, is he sloppy with his hands? His pad level just rises right off the snap, exposes his chest wide with his hands, going to draw a lot of holding penalties and, those are things that I feel like are going to get you in trouble. You remember Jackson Carmen last year out of Clemson? Clemson? Yeah. 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 I don't want to make a true comparison between those two players, but I see similarities in terms of their adjustment going forward in the NFL. Carmen is on the Bengals. He couldn't earn too many snaps on the Bengals, or at least they were a little hesitant to play him, but then injuries, he ended up kind of playing. And I don't know if he's a part of their long-term solution there in Cincinnati, but I think that could be something with Darian Kennard if Kennard doesn't really hunker down and work on that technique. Right. All right, next on the list, tight end, which is a huge hole for the Giants. You know, uh, if you looked at, like, hey, we don't know even who's going to get reps at this position. Like, nose tackle and tight end were two of them. The Giants signed a nose tackle, so that's feel Tight end, it's like I have – like, Ricky Seals-Jones is a nice backup, but he – like, I, ideal, ideally he would be your third your third guy. Um, so what do we got on UCLA tight end Greg Dulcich? 
I like Dolch, man. I think he's probably going to end up going day two. He was once thought of more as a day three type of guy, but he is a good athlete, dude, and he can stretch the field vertically. And he's not that great of a blocker, so people are going to make those comparisons to Evan Ingram. But this guy, to me, is a much better catcher of the football. He had four drops this last year, but when you watch how natural his hands are on those deep dig routes over the middle of the field in contested situations through traffic, through congestion, he has big hands, bro. And he goes up and he plucks the ball. His hands are 10 and seven eighths of an inch. It's almost 11 inches, Bobby. That is big for a tight end has just under 34 inch arms as well. So this guy has a wide catch radius. I think he can be a vertical option, more of probably like an F or an H back than somebody that you want to align in line. Like a, I think Trey McBride can be a Y tight end. He's not the best blocker, but I think you can get away with that because you're not looking for, you know, Joe Thomas as a tight end. I think Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State can be a good wide tight end, but it's hard to find true wide tight ends. I heard good things about Kate Otten, the kid from Washington. I haven't gotten my eyes on him yet, but I've heard that he could possibly be that as well. Dolchik isn't exactly that, but in terms of a move tight end who can be a mismatch, and I know Giant fans hate to hear that because they think of Evan Ingram, but this guy's a better route runner, has better hands than Evan Ingram, and I think he's an interesting piece for an offense and somebody that can stretch the field vertically, horizontally, and be effective at all three levels of the field. Well, yeah, and he is a better route runner than Evan Ingram, and I think that's something that always got lost in the shovel with Evan Ingram with the drops and the blocking is like, honestly, his major issue is he's a bad route runner. Like, Evan Ingram was a, was a bad route runner for the Giants, and obviously his scheme uh, with Jason Garrett didn't help him. I thought Pat Shermer used him well, and he, he had good results with Pat Shermer, but... You know, like, uh, I, you know, outside of scheme, you got to do your part. And Evan Ingram didn't do his part a lot. Um, so it's like, I want to, conv- I want to compare him to, uh, Ingram is like, I would compare him more to Dawson Knox, you know, and like, look how valuable that guy, you know, not to say he's the same player as Knox, but like, look how, va- I'm just saying like how valuable that guy was for Brian Dable, uh, and the Buffalo Bills, you know, as a, as a mid round pick, like he said, he's rising and, you know, like you said, it could be, uh, you know, a second rounder at this point. Like some people have him like as a top 50 player, um, but and and then obviously like the thing like you said that we love the most is the speed like he just glides down the field like took like you know he dominated LSU uh, you know I was I was actually watching um like I had watched Dolch before before we uh had put together this list and I was watching uh some 2020 Drake Jackson in prep for this and it's like there's Dolch just flying just gliding for a you know a 75 yard touchdown. Um, so you consistently you consistently see those plays, and it's hard to not get excited about him. Absolutely, I mean, I would welcome him on the New York Giants. To be honest, my thing is Ricky Seals Jones isn't a blocker either. So who's going to be your blocking type of tight end? Because that is important. Ricky Seals Jones, he's I, I don't understand how he doesn't get flagged on every single play. <laughs> that dude is so wild with his hands, bro. It's a, he hugs like all the time, Bobby. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, Greg Dolchich isn't a good blocker, but he's a better blocker than Ricky Seals. Like he's like the turn, the phrase "willing blocker." I feel like it's thrown around to any draft tight end that's not a good blocker. But Dolchich is Ricky Seals Jones, and I, I don't like the question guy's effort, but it's like he's not a willing blocker. Like he's his blocking is flat out like it's pitiful. Like it's with you know it's worse than any tight end I've seen for the Giants. Like he makes Evan Ingram look like a decent blocker. Uh, Ricky's Ricky Seals Joe. So at least Greg Dolchich is a willing blocker and you know after moving from wide receiver is still obviously getting some but there was some Greg Dolchich versus Drake Jackson reps where it's like Dolchich won you know won a couple reps in a row versus Drake Jackson um the edge out of USC yeah and Dolchich too they used him a lot on like split flow action I don't know if you watched the Oregon game but he had the 
unfortunate task of kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage, one named Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh my gosh, that rep was disgusting by Thibodeau. Just dis- it's like, why did you do this, uh, uh, Chip Kelly? But yeah, that was a disgusting rep. Yeah, I felt bad for him. But again, that's not his game. I think what he can offer as a receiving threat is, is something that teams were going to be looking for on day two. And I think he's kind of had this offseason at the Senior Bowl and at the Combine where he's put himself in this position to be in the conversation with Trey McBride, Jeremy Rucker. I think he's maybe slightly below those two, but he's at least in the conversation. Yeah, I, I have Trey McBride one. I definitely have Dolchich over over uh, Rucker out of Ohio State. But like, you know, we're I was down in Mobile and I thought the tight end group was the overall strongest group down there, man. And Dolchich was flying, you know, and again... You know, there's there's guys who can't block, and there's guys like Cole Turner out of Nevada who can't block, you know. And I think Dolch just comes into that one where, like, again, you don't want to use him. You don't want to be running wide zone with him on the play side, but you can get away with him on the back side, uh, you know, when you do want to line him up uh, as that traditional wide tight end. And that's important, too. That's something that gets lost in, in the shuffle. And you look at some of these other tight ends in the pre-draft process, like Texas A&M's Jalen Widemeyer. That dude just ran like a 503 at his pro day. Like, that dude is going to fall because of that, man. Lance Zerline, like, like, pointed out, he's like, there's never been a pass-catching tight end to have these numbers and be drafted. Like, he's going to go undrafted. I haven't watched him yet, so I don't want to, you know, say that. Uh, but it was like, man, that was a... Someone said that, like, they must have been running on sand at Texas A&M. Like, all of their times were horrible. Yeah, Spiller was horrible too. It was in like the four sixes. And Spiller wasn't one that I felt like was going to run a four three or anything like that. But I thought, you know, maybe like a four four nine, four five three, somewhere in between that range. Weidemeyer, I thought, would be like a four eight guy. I didn't see somebody who was overly sudden. I think he does a good job using his frame, using that contested catch ability. Although he that Auburn game was terrible. He had like three just mind-blowing drops. But with those testing numbers, man, like you just shouldn't have tested. <laughs> you just shouldn't have showed up yeah. to your pro day. Texas, quick, have you watched Kenyon Green yet out of Texas a and I did. I did watch Kenyon Green. I'm full-blown love with Kenyon Green. I think he's the best guard since Quentin Nelson in the draft. Like, I I know he had he had really bad testing at the Combine, um, which made me go, all right, like, all right, let me go back and watch this guy. But I feel like just play in, play out, he dominates at the guard spot, uh, you know, like in anything that he was asked to do. Yeah, Kenyon Green for me, I liked him. I had a first-round grade, I believe, on Kenyon Green, but I think I'm higher on Zion Johnson. Really? I like Zion a lot too, but I like Kenyon Green so much more. There was something about Kenyon Green, and and I saw some interior offensive line tape. I saw a lot of offensive tackle tape, so it's it's a little bit jumbled because the versatility is something that I, I absolutely loved. I loved his finishing ability. I didn't think his hands were, were as consistent as I wanted them to be. I thought they could get a little bit high, and, and not as not as probably straight or tight as I, I necessarily would have liked. And I also thought the footwork at times wasn't great when he was kind of going into his power step. I felt like he would sometimes like tap that inside foot instead of plant it in the ground and drive into his target. And he would still have the play strength to have success in those plays, on those plays. But I feel like there's more play strength that can be maximized if he kind of cleans that up a bit. I don't know if you saw that at all and this is why i like coming on podcasts with people like you who watch watch the film and everything like that because there's going to be disagreements and that's fine you see it at tackle but when like like watches like 2020 versus alabama at guard and i mean his hands are being shot in the in the chest every single time like just dominant like you know like every single pass rep is dominant like just dominates the guy on every single rep like so i i i've watched him at tackle 
um, which is like that's nice and all, but you're not going to be a tackle in the NFL. I'm I watch his guard stuff, man, and anytime I watch him play just play guard, like I fall in love. And it's like you know what? If Zion Johnson had to play tackle in the SEC, I think maybe there would be some of those other words. But it's like he's going to play guard, and whenever he's playing guard, like he just has dominant rep after dominant rep. Yeah, and I mean he's somebody that definitely interests me. Like I said, I had a a low first round grade on him, and I'm pretty particular i don't give a lot of first round grades out and he he cracked that uh barrel for me so somebody i like but there were things that i felt like could be cleaned up all right let's move to the defensive side um we have wink martindale's the defensive coordinator who has his types who do you uh who do you want to roll with first yeah i think we should start with the edge drake jackson so this is somebody who could be available in the third round for the giants because start with the bad not that great against the run. Now, I felt like there were reps where he would go up against the tight end and he would win, but then I would see him lose a couple reps against tight ends, which you never want to see, but then I'd see him set the edge against the tackle. And you're like, well, why is this a little bit inconsistent? I think the overall technique in terms of the hands, in terms of consistent leverage, is something that he struggled with in terms of a run defender. So why are we talking about him? Because what he can do as a pass rusher, he might have the best bend in this class, man, the best ability to kind of shoot up the pass rushing arc using his explosiveness, win that outside corner, dip at the waist, and put a lot of stress on that ankle joint and flatten and soften the angle through contact to get to the quarterback. I felt like his ability to bend that edge and stress that edge is something that teams are going to love. Now, the issue is, can he play on early downs? And that's where I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, uh- you know, he's really weak. Like, we're talking about being weak at the point. Like, he's really bad at the point of attack. Like, really bad, and that's what worries me. Like you said, he has the ability to stress tackles with that speed and his long arms. Like, he really screws up tackles, punches, and like you said, he's able to to dip that edge. The thing that worries me the most, though, is like, yeah, you know, you can get him better in the run game and stuff. Like, I feel like that can be improved on but, but he doesn't counter at all. I just feel like there's it's just like... He's like, it's like watching this long athletic guy, but it's like, just put it together, put it together consistently. And he doesn't, he has those wow reps, but it's like, he just doesn't put it together consistently. And like you said, like he gets moved in the run game, like, and, and pretty easily and consistently. So I think a reason why he's a little bit weak against the run, which is very, very apparent in his 2021 tape. If you go back to his freshman year, he was like 260, 265, and he cut a lot of weight going into 2020, got down to like, you know, 250, and now he's 254 at the combine. He was a little bit stronger at the point of attack than he was asked to cut weight, and that kind of changed his game. So I'm wondering how he would be if he put that weight back on in terms of strength at the point of attack. I think that's something to, to ponder. But in terms of just the, the speed, the explosiveness, the quickness, and then the flexion throughout his lower body and his ability to get into tackles outside shoulders, that's something NFL teams are going to love, just that overall twitch and the suddenness that he possesses. But I have to agree, man, from the 2021 tape, it's, it's an issue, the run defense. One thing that is coming for him, though, Bobby, that I feel like is pretty good is ability to drop into coverage, man. I mean, it was evident. Let me ask you about that. Yeah, it was evident at the combine. But when you turn on his tape as well, I think he dropped in the coverage about 23% of the snaps or at least 23% of the passes that he faced. And he... He looks pretty fluid, man. He looks pretty fluid. He blew one coverage, which was like a, a tight end wheel route that got around him when he was dropping into a, a shallow zone. And it wasn't a catch, so it doesn't really kind of pop up on the on the box score, but that was one that kind of popped out to me. But I felt like it looked natural. 
And I know Wink Martindale is going to be looking for these three, four outside linebacker types who can align inside, which Drake Jackson has done. And he can also drop into coverage, which you know Martindale, he's going to be bringing safeties. He's going to need some people to drop into coverage off the line of scrimmage from a two point stance from a three point stance. Drake Jackson has all of that in his wheelhouse and has displayed that in college, but it's always going to come down to that run defense, that strength at the point of attack. And that's probably why we're not talking about him as a top 20 pick. Right. And and I was going to ask you about the what you thought about his coverage ability. Something I noticed is there was times um, where they'd line him up inside and you'd see him have like dominant reps, like making guys miss. And I feel like at t- in the run game, uh, you know, he's got great athleticism, but it's like you're not going to just beat tackles on purely athleticism in the run game. But at, at, when he was inside, like he could like, you know, he was making guys miss shooting gaps. Um, now he, I don't think he'll ever be a full-time inside player, but do you think that's something that like you can utilize to kind of get by the first year or so? Only in obvious passing situations, because if it's, you know, second and 10, they'll just run the football at him and they'll probably check to him and be like, yo, this guy's on the line of scrimmage. Yo, we're going to bully him off. And I think one other thing that I'm a little concerned about in terms of rushing the passer, he doesn't have any really much tape of him converting speed to power. It doesn't really have a power element. No. You brought up the counter moves, and that's also a good point. It doesn't necessarily have a good counter move that really just jumps out at you that you really love. But the the finesse part of his game, like if you played Madden and you were drafting him in Madden, his finesse pass rushing would be A, A plus, because he he has that part of his game down. There's just still a lot more development that needs to happen. Where are you comfortable taking him? It would have to be after day two. This would have to be a, a or after the second round. I think in the okay. third round, Giants have two third round picks. I could possibly entertain it, but it's not, it's something that I'll always have in the back of my mind. Cause if you look at the Giants right now, they have Ellerson Smith, they have O'Shane Zimenez. Both those guys, they're not the same as Drake Jackson. I feel like Drake Jackson is more dynamic in terms of winning the edge and bending through contact. But both of those guys can't really play the run that well, at least not right now. O'Shane, I think that's done with, but Ellerson Smith, he can develop into that. And I feel like he still has the frame to put more weight on. Whereas I don't know if they're going to go after someone like a Drake Jackson with those guys still on the roster. But again, this is a new general manager. They might see him as their guy and they could bring him in. And we know, go over Baltimore's film, man, just how they, they used every defensive player in their defensive rotation. A lot of guys in the Joe Judge era, they were just special teamers. You would, you would never want to see Nate Ebner out there. Every time he was out there, I was like, dude, what the heck is he going out there? Like, is everybody hurt? Like, what the heck? I thought like Martindale used everybody that they had in a rotation, and they would come out with, you know, multiple outside linebackers all throughout their defense. Move Patrick Queen, get outside linebackers in there, and we're just going to really deceive the crap out of the offense. Whether we're going to drop in coverage, whether we can – Defend the run, which is the issue with him, or we can rush the passer. He has the passer, rushing the passer down. He has the coverage down. Doesn't have the run defense right now. Yeah, and, you know, Wink ran four outside linebackers at times. I was talking with, um, gosh, I forget his name. I think you guys had him on, too. Ken McCusick, he's, he's Ken great. McCusick, he's like, there was a one time he ran, like, five. And it's like, man, okay. So it's like, all right, Edge is a big uh, uh, position of need for the Giants. They basically have Aziz Ojolari as their only, like, He's going to be here piece. You, I think Quincy Roche is a nice piece as depth. Jihad Ward, eh. Um, and that's kind of it because Ellerson Smith is such a developmental player at this point. We don't know what – like I'm not putting any expectations on Ellerson Smith until I see him play 30 to 40% of, of the snaps in one game. Like I just want to see that out of him. And like you, you know, we talked about him on last year's. Um, like he has more weight to put on. He's got that ability. Um 
but it's like we got to see it and we didn't even get to see him in 2020 because of you know northern iowa not playing exactly and he missed most of training camp because he got injured in training camp and a lot of the season last year so there's there's warranted excuses in my mind for Ellerson Smith's development, but we're going to have to see it eventually. Yeah. We, brought, we brought up the edge group just because we're talking about it. There are so many edges in this class. This is such a deep edge class. So I'm, I'm interested in other edges other than Drake Jackson. I'm trying to pick somebody who could realistically yeah. be there in the third. Like I would take Boye Mafe. I think Arnold Ebichetti from Penn State, mm-hmm. Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Those guys really stand out. Uh, Logan Hall, I think he's more of going to, he wants to be a three technique, but he fits the mold of a bigger type of guy like Jahad Ward. He's not as big as Jahad Ward, but he's a bigger dude. I love Logan Hall, but he does kind of stand up right off the snap expose his chest it's like bro keep your leverage a little low but he's another interesting player kid out of houston yeah I've, you mentioned uh Ebiketti and, and mafia I, I like both i like Ebiketti a lot i think more than most people um but hey like these these drafts like especially now that's a new regime like you really are like your first you got to hit your first and second rounders but the third to the sixth round that's why i like talking about it with you because i know you do your work is like this is where super bowls are won you know is as in these rounds three through six so um who's who's your next guy on the list all right so i know you love this guy and i really like him I as love, well love 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 this guy and i think he is the perfect fit for what wink martindale wants to do and that is leo chanel out of wisconsin linebacker sorry you might hear some stuff in the background i live right off of a road here in arizona and everybody loves revving their engine huge thing out here don't get it but I really like what Leo Chanel could offer because he comes from Jim Leonard's defense in Wisconsin, which is a pressure heavy defense. And if you watch him in his first season in 2020, he was used a lot as kind of a stack linebacker behind the nose tackle. And then he started in 2021 kind of expanding his role, played a little bit more in coverage, which I still think is a work in progress is Agility in space, which is weird to say because he just had such a great combine. He tested so well athletically, and I want to get your take on this. I feel like he probably tested better athletically than what his than what his tape would suggest, but I don't think he's a deficient athlete at all. But he's definitely more of a, I'm maximizing my athletic ability when I'm going forward, when I'm using my burst and my acceleration to go forward. Moving laterally, there's a little bit of hip tightness that I saw. But I think as a blitzing option in Wink Martindale's scheme, this guy is an excellent target on day two who could really kind of help turn this defense into the image that Wink Martindale really wants to kind of uh, cultivate here in New York. Yeah. I mean, I think he does it like he's that prototypical linebacker who can do anything that's asked of him. You mentioned in coverage, um, like you said, there's, if I can look up the note I have on his agility, blah, blah, blah. Not the, not the best tackler in open space, which speaks to agility, you know, like not talking about in the box, but like in open space. And then that shows up in coverage a little bit, but also in coverage, like he's got his, he's a, the linebacker who can keep his eyes on the QB, but also can recognize uh, patterns, concepts, and like uh, shut down like progressions. There were like, there was many a times, Especially in the Iowa game, where it's like he just ruined this progression for the quarterback, just ruined this progression, and they're and they're getting a sack because he ruined the second read of this quarterback, you know. So like getting in the way of of those, you know, like in, in man coverage, which linebackers aren't put in man coverage a ton. I know Wink Martindale might ask a little more out of that, uh, out of their inside linebackers, but it's like he's a you know does an all right, an adequate job, but like as a pass rusher. Like there's usually like inside linebackers, like they're either timing pass rushers or they're like, you know, they can put them on the A gap win one-on-one. 
Um, and those guys are like extremely hard to find. Like you really don't see him at the NFL level. Um, and he can do that, you know. And again, watching him, watching him versus Tyler Linderbaum, it's like who had the better day, Tyler Linderbaum or Leo Chanel? Leo Chanel to me, like he had dominant reps, and then just the hands, man. They pack so much power, you know, and starting through the with the feet, you know. And like you said, he had a forty and a half inch vertical jump. I mean, he just. He just used those hands to disengage, to displace offensive linemen, and get under their under their chest, man. And just makes play after play after play in the run game. So like I, I'm really excited about him. I always find everyone talks about the first round. I always find an inside linebacker. It just seems that every year I find an inside linebacker that I just love. That's not in that first round hype. Um, but Leo Leo Chanel right now is that guy for me because it's just he does. At almost he does everything well like coverage there can be more but it's like you see there's room for growth there that he can hit and you see really good plays like that's what I look for a linebacker is not being lost in coverage and having good plays like like you know you put any linebacker and uh, you know like they're not they're never going to be there's never going to be a just a great great linebacker in coverage you know where you just put them in man coverage there's some guys out there but you're not going to see those guys and I think he does a good enough job to be really excited about his growth Yes, and he showed the awareness on like robot technique off of play action, which robot means roll over and back. So basically when the offense runs a play action, if you're a linebacker, you have to execute your run fit. You have to go and at least attempt to fill your run fit, but you also have to be cognizant of the passing possibility. So you go up to say whatever your run fit is, B, C gap, whatever, A gap. You go up, press the line of scrimmage, you see it's a play action, and then you turn your back towards the offense and you roll over go back find the crosser whether that be a number three or number two receiver from the backside, and then stick to him he showed that on his film he has that within his wheelhouse he i said i think he's a little stiff in the hips but he has enough fluidity to pull that off and not look terrible doing it and he's a six foot what's up bud well i was gonna say if people are wondering what you're talking about it was that micah parsons versus the bucks uh, play and everyone there was like like this look at this guy he's lost out there it's like no he's doing exactly what he's taught where people thought he was just like running around with his head cut off yeah, that was that was a ridiculous take on Twitter by by I think a big personality on Twitter too. But he's a six foot Leo Chanel is a six foot two, a little bit more than that, 250 pounds, man. He was rumored to be playing at 260, and he's doing all this. And and you talked about his heavy hands, and that's something that really, really popped up. But when you're that big, you think of like a 1990s linebacker. He can't do anything athletically. And like I said, I have my slight concerns. I think he's a better tester athletically than what I saw on tape. But still, the testing was elite. 94th percentile on the broad jump, 96th percentile on the vert, 91st percentile on the 40, and then 87th with the 10-yard split, which is really, really important when you blitz. Because the 10-yard split is how fast, how fast can you accelerate from a non-start to a start how fast can you go from zero to a hundred and he ran a 155 with his 10 yard split at 250 pounds that's really really impressive so we know patrick or patrick graham we know wink martindale wants the blitz bobby and this is i can't think of other players that aren't being discussed in the first round that fits this system in terms of a blitzing linebacker better than leo chanel yeah i'm, I'm in love here's a, a question i'll ask um i think he does a pretty good job processing and, and diagnosing plays um, but there is times where he gets caught out of place trying to make a big play with his instincts. Um, but then there's also times where it's like he's reading a wham block and he's seeing this cutback, you know, a mile before it happens and sets it up. Like, is that a worry about uh, him? It's like, well, if he's not, if he, like, if he's not, if he's, if he's brought into a scheme where it's like he run fit, run fit, run fit, are you a little worried that maybe you don't see as the, the big plays that he did at Wisconsin where they let him free ball it a little bit? 
Well, he's a young player. This is somebody who had a couple years of or three years of experience at Wisconsin, didn't play a lot in 2019. And he's coming out, I believe, as a redshirt sophomore because I think he redshirted in 2019 after maybe an injury or something. I'm not 100% certain on that. But I have that in my evaluation as well. He, he guesses a bit when he's reading the offense and doesn't always optimally position himself. I think all that can be developed. And I think Wink Martindale is a good enough coach and the Giants have surrounded enough coaches to enhance that problem. It all comes down to can this kid learn? And I, I don't know. I haven't talked with Leosha now. So they're going to address all that in the formal interviews and the interviews that they had at the Combine and everything like that. And as long as he has the processing and the mental processing ability to do that, which I feel like there were plays on film where I saw mental processing, but I did also see the guessing a little bit. I think that can be rectified. It's not something I'm overly worried about. What about you? Yeah, and I I would rather have that issue than a guy who is just sit, 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 and it's like, all right, by the time you've read this and decided to go, you've got a guard in your lap, which, you know, we're going to talk about Damone Clark, who, I Damone Clark's a better athlete than him, but it's like, he's kind of, he does a good job, he, he, he's disciplined, but it's like, sometimes you can be too disciplined um, to where you're, you know, you're allowing a four-yard gain, which it could, when it could have been a two-yard gain. Um, but yeah, this is the guy, I, I wish... Inside linebacker is a need for the Giants, but I don't think it's the biggest pressing need. Um, and it would, I would be banging the, dr- the drum for Leo Chanel more if it wasn't like we have so many needs. Like we're probably going to need a cornerback with James Bradbury because um, I, I would be like round two, get this guy because I, I really think he's worth that. But if he's there in round three, it's like uh, ignore every other position in need. I'm, I want Leo Chanel. And that also goes to what we were talking about earlier with trading back. If you trade back, you're probably going to get another pick, possibly in the 30s, maybe in the 40s. And you can address something at 36, maybe go BPA. And if Chanel is still around with that second, second round pick, then you can execute that pick then and upgrade your defense in the image of Wink Martin. Right. Um, which I'm very excited to see what Wink Martindale does with this defense that doesn't – it's got some good t- – well, it's got it's got some good talent, but there's also some – there's a big need for edge. I'm excited to see what he does with this defense because it's. I mean, he's basically the opposite of what Patrick Graham had done the last two years. Um, so since we're talking off-ball stack linebackers, do you want to hit Damone Clark next? Yeah, I like Damone Clark. I think everything that you said was accurate, though. I think sometimes it's a little bit late to process, specifically when like jet sweeps or any kind of wide receiver is coming into the mesh point right at the snap. And I also felt like he had this weird knack to kind of hop on his toes when the snap happened. And that would kind of delay his reaction time as to what was happening on the offense. So I felt like that was a little issue that I had with Damone Clark, but in terms of the coverage ability, the ability to penetrate and shoot gaps when asked to, and just his overall athletic ability and size, I appreciated what I saw from him. I haven't written my evaluation on Damone Clark yet, or nor did I with Neil Farrell, but I've watched a lot of LSU defense. So with Clark, he's six foot two, 239 pounds, has a really long wingspan of 78 and a half inches, which is 90th percentile for linebackers with 33 inch arms. And he ran a four, five, seven thought he was going to run a little bit even faster than that. Cause I feel like he does have the play speed and the yeah. pursuit. And what I also like about him is the leadership qualities that he displayed at LSU, because this is somebody who wore the number 18 jersey, which is a huge deal at LSU. He stepped up, and I felt like the progression from his junior to senior year was enough for me to be like, he can realistically progress because he still has some things to work on, like we said, with the pre-snap reading and everything and the recognition, which I don't feel like it was always terrible, but there were plays where it was. I feel like he can grow from that senior season, what he did at the senior bowl, what he did at the combine, and take that and also develop 
here with New York. And I don't think he has to necessarily be relied on in this first year now that Blake Martinez is coming back. So I think that's another thing that I think of. I really want these, I want a linebacker from this draft because I'm not a big Tay Crowder guy. I don't think Tay Crowder is a difference maker. And that's what you get when you're picking, uh, you know, last in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant. I think he's nice for a Mr. Irrelevant draft pick. Blake Martinez is in a long-term fixture. I think the Giants should find somebody at that second level who can be a difference maker. I don't know if that's going to be Damone Clark. I think there's a lot of solid linebacker options in this draft, but he's somebody that definitely catches my mind. I would take Chanel over him, though. Inside linebacker for the Giants, uh, it's the it's the position of need for me that's not the biggest position of need because, um, you know, one, Wink likes to run a lot of one inside linebacker sets and run, you know, you know, nickel or not nickel everyone runs nickel but like dime packages and like you said we talk about running the outside linebackers so it's definitely a position to need but it's like if they're rolling with blake tay crowder and then fill in the blank vet minimum like reggie raglan type like i'm i'm fine with it you know um I, that's putting a lot of faith on um blake coming post injury but blake's gonna play regardless so like uh, he's gonna be that that mike linebacker for them um but like you said like i i like demone clark's speed um and like there is good examples of him processing his stuff, um, and part of that part of that is the way a defense is called too. Like if a defense like, hey, we don't want you going crazy and being super instinctive. We want you playing your run fits and not blowing plays there. So there's there's a lot there to work with Demone Clark. And like you said, I thought he would test better than what he did too, even though it wasn't bad testing. Yeah. So I actually went into this and I told myself because I'm on Big Blue Banter, I talk a lot about Quay Walker the linebacker from Georgia. And I haven't talked too much about Channing Tindall, the other linebacker from Georgia, but those are two day two names that have to be acknowledged as well. Channing Tindall's never started a game in college, but that's because he played at Georgia with all the linebackers and all the talent that's down there. But that guy was at like the university of South Carolina or even another like good sec school we could be talking about him in a more favorable light, amazing athletes. I just think the linebacker position is deep and that's why, I never fully understood the mocking of Nakobe Dean and Devin Lloyd to the Giants, even with a trade down situation, because I I like Christian Harris, the Channing Tindall, and I just think it's a deep linebacker class in general. You can even go with the Montana State kid, who was a Troy Anderson right there. Yep, I got it right in front of me. I feel like he's an interesting player who was like a quarterback and a running back for the first two years up there at Montana State and had a really good senior bowl, good combine. I just feel like there's a lot of Interesting linebackers in this draft. So that's why I was always with the Devin Lloyd and the Kobe Dean. I feel like they're good players, but for the Giants, with all the needs they have, I, I wasn't necessarily on board with that. Yeah, I still got a, a lot of guys to watch. Um, and, and like, I, I love Nicobe Dean. I haven't done like a full thing on him, but I do love him. But, um, uh, you know, I don't. I just Nicobe Dean is the type of player where it's like you're not watching him, but you end up watching him because of the the plays he makes and how he fits stuff up perfectly. Um, and, he's, yeah, and he's good, and I don't want to act like I don't think he's good, but when you have those guys in front of you, and right. this goes with Channing Tindall and Quay Walker, who are you know less lesser prospects than Kobe Dean, it, it helps you when you have a Jordan Davis from a three-technique slanting to take out the center, so now you have an open alley in the B-gap because you had Trayvon yeah. Walker aligned as a five-technique to occupy the tackle. So like it really helps you when you have all of that going on in front of you not to mention they had Devontae Wyatt on the backside it's just wild to think about like so many first front sevens nasty like it's it's gotta go down as one of the best front sevens sevens ever and then you have Darian Kendrick at cornerback the Clemson transfer and freaking Lewis Sign at safety who is like an amazing prospect as well who could be in consideration for the Giants I don't think he would be but he could be at 36 
All right. All right, let's finish it off. Let's hit it with the DB, cornerback uh, Cam Taylor Britt. It's the position I have the hardest time watching, so I'm um, definitely going to be, you know, per- perking my ears up a little more. What do you th- got on uh, Cam Taylor Britt? So I haven't watched Cam Taylor Britt since I think he was one of my first evaluations that I did. So way back in December. But when I watched him, one thing stuck out to me this guy is wildly physical. And I love that. And I yeah. felt like just playing in Nebraska, they didn't play too much press man. I felt like when he was in press man, he was solid at it, but it was a lot of, I'm just going to jam real quick and then sink into his own. So it wasn't even really man, but it was a press alignment. Remember press is an alignment jam is an action. So it was a lot of that, but there were times where he had to carry cornerbacks vertically. And I felt like he showed solid hip fluidity and there were a couple reps where I questioned his vertical speed. So I thought he wasn't going to test that way. I thought it was going to be like a four five, two guy, you know, something goes out there and runs a four, three, eight at the combine. It kind of shocked me a little bit and he's five foot 11, 196 pounds. I honestly thought that he would be a player that can convert to safety kind of like Brandon Stevens did the kid out of SMU last year was a fourth round pick by Baltimore who's a cornerback who converted to safety and Wink Martindale used him as a safety in their blitz packages and in the and everything going on on the back end played single high did a lot of different stuff with Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott and all the safeties that they had over there in Baltimore so I figured that he could possibly be somebody who would play corner switch to safety but I think he can also play cornerback, man. I mean, it's not ideal length, 31 and a half inches. It's not bad, but 32 is like that benchmark that you really kind of look for. Big hands, wildly physical. I think he's athletic enough to keep up in-man coverage. And I felt like he was a smart player. And there were times, bro, where like they would try to throw wide receiver screens towards him and they would attempt to stalk block this dude. And this dude would come up and just annihilate the poor wide receiver who did not watch enough tape on Cam Taylor Britton to realize that you cannot go up against somebody this physical and do that. That's kind of why I think he has that imposing type of play style that could fit at safety because of his ability to run support and his tackling ability. So I'm interested in him in general. And I think he could be a day three pick, which is interesting mainly because I think he could be used as well as a safety. Okay. So I agree with you 100% on on like yeah, coming up in the run game. You know, like he can, he can change direction quick. So you saying move to safety really piques my interest because at corner and correct me like correct me where I am because this is the this is the position I have the hardest I can watch in the NFL because you can tell what's good cornerback plays, but projecting at corner is he stays in his back pedal really for a long time and he gives a lot of cushion and it's like hey he's got a good ability to jump on a route but there's so much cushion time sometimes whether it's a slant and dig whatever he's got so much cushion that it's like hey it's, it, no matter how fast you close you're giving up that catch but when you say moving the safety that like piques my interest a little more it's like well because those those traits do fit there and like you said you mentioned the run support he's able to provide like that definitely piques my interest a lot more for cam yes and the cushion could also be a coaching point. And again, I, I, when I watched the film, I did not see a four, three, eight athlete. I thought he was going to be slower than that. So there's some play speed questions there and how that would translate to being a starting quarterback in the NFL. But we're talking about a day three pick here. If we want to talk about a day two pick and somebody that would really like, inter- like a Tariq Wollen at a UTSA, that is somebody who will press the line of scrimmage, use his length, keeps his profile pretty low, very fluid for somebody who is legit like six foot four. It's kind of wild how long and how big he actually is. So the Giants don't go 
with an Ahmad Sauce Gardner in the first round. I'm, I'm looking at pick 36. I'm looking at Tariq Wollen from UTSA. I'm looking at Kyler Gordon from Washington. He's somebody that I felt like was going to test a little bit better than he did, but he's an excellent athlete. They run a lot of zone up there, but I feel like he has the traits to play man coverage. And then Kair Elam is another one from Florida who's very physical, lined with oh, yeah. a lot of press. And uh, I wish he was a little bit better of a tackler. I think that's a fair criticism in the open field. Some, for whatever reason, he misses tackles. I don't know if that's a coaching point or what. Get his hand, get Jerome Henderson into his ear, and maybe he can correct that. But in terms of being a press man corner, I feel like he can have success at the NFL. You mentioned Kyler Gordon. I'm glad you did because I wanted to ask you about him. How hard of a time do you have projecting? Because like you, you mentioned, I mean, they had him as a bailed cover three corner a lot. And it's like, man, you're just like – they're preventing the big plays, but it's like, it's for me, especially because I don't know the ins and outs of cornerback play as much as I do other positions, probably my, my biggest weakness. Like, I just have a hard time, like, like projecting and evaluating that because it's like, man, just, you know, at least in the couple games I watch, it's like he's, he's, he's a bail cover three corner every single rep. Yeah, they play a ton of zone up there. Now, I haven't done an evaluation on them. All my film on them is from watching other players that went up against Washington and also just watching Washington on Saturdays and stuff like that. But you can see the athletic traits in terms of like the short area quickness when he clicks and closes coming downhill, his ability to flip his hips, even though he is in a cover three, if somebody is running the seam, his ability to kind of explode laterally and get up the seam to cover that route from that cover three position to kind of close with in that area. I just feel like he has that burst and that explosiveness. And I expected him to test a little bit better than he did. I don't have his testing numbers in front of me, but I think it was like a, a four five or something like that. And I felt like he was going to be like a four, four type of athlete with a little bit better vertical and broad jump. I don't have the numbers in front of me at the moment though. No doubt. Well, Nick, we appreciate this as always. Who who are you betting on to be the player picked by the Giants out of these six? So it has to be these six. I'm going to go with Leo Chanel, man. I, I, I'm, okay. That's what I'm hoping for. With Greg so, Dulcich does too. Yeah. I look at, I think, I think Trey McBride, I think Trey McBride, and I would have went with McBride, but he's just too highly touted. Yeah, he's a lot of people's number one tight end, including myself, so. I think the Giants might look at him at 36, man. I wouldn't be mad. I I think they're pro- they probably wouldn't be like my guy to go get, but if you're getting the best tight end and they believe in him, like I wouldn't be mad at all. Are you talking about Chanel or McBride? I'm thinking of both, but I was talking about McBride. I think a lot of things can happen. I I don't think a tight end is going to go on day one. It it all depends, man, because they got Dawson Knox on in round three. So it was late day two, but Dawson Knox, man, like he was like a diamond in the rough because he played on an offense with DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and then another, their 11 personnel package was silly. So Dawson Knox never really saw the ball, but the traits were there. The athletic ability was there as long as he could stay healthy, which he was able to do in the NFL. Yeah. I remember watching we we didn't do this as heavily in 2019, but it was like we watched all three of those. Uh, what was it? Hollywood Brown, AJ, AJ. I loved AJ Brown, and then uh, like you, you mentioned Dawson Knox. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting. So uh, I hope people uh, enjoyed it. Where can people find you and get uh, more consistent Nick Filato, uh discussion? So I am. You can find the podcast, Big Blue Banter. It's myself, CBS's Dan Schneier, talking about the Giants, talking about the X's and O's, philosophies, all of that. Find that really anywhere you get your podcast. That's Big Blue Banter. You can also find a lot of my work at Big Blue View. That's writing and podcasting, the Big Blue View radio. You can check that out, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. All my writing is on Big Blue View. Find me on Twitter, at Nick Falato. That is F-A-L-A-T-O, Foxtrot, Alpha, Lima, Alpha, Tango, Oscar. And... 
also do work for Patty Trana at Sports Illustrated. So you can find some of my draft stuff there. Great stuff. Me, I always bring this up is when uh, me and you got introduced to each other because my fir- I wrote for Patty Trana for like a couple months in 2019. And you had just like came on to the scene and you were, I think you were writing for Ed Valentine and Big Blue View. And my first one was Nick Gates' first game at right tackle. And you put one out like two hours before. I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, I was like let me like get a hold of him and let him know I didn't just like copy and paste his, his, his article because they were very similar. I remember that, but like great minds think alike, Bobby. And I, and I also like, that's kind of how we, that's how we became introduced. And that's how our like Twitter friendship started because we haven't, we've met once in person in passing at a Mets game, but we haven't hung out other than that. And I would like to hang out with you. You seem like a cool guy. Yeah, we we definitely do, and that Mets game might be the most drunk I've been in the last like five years because it just rained and we just kept on drinking and waiting for that game to start and uh was a was a good time, but it was it was good to finally meet. And again, we got we got to do more stuff in person. Any chance we're gonna get you in New York for the draft, or are you gonna be back in Arizona? I'll probably be in Arizona, or I could be in Vegas because uh we blue oh yeah that's big, close. Big Blue View is uh where we're. we're owned by blue wire podcasting and they're based they have a studio in the wind bet out there in vegas so they might bring us out there i'm not 100 certain on that yet though that'd be sick well uh go check out all nick florida's work it's definitely really good and informative stuff appreciate you as always man hey sure you better hope i never get back in there i will kick your hey baby let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs have some fun all right, thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show. Make sure to go give him a follow, check his stuff out. And again, we're starting draft month, uh, so I'm very excited for Friday. We've been edge is probably the position I've got down the most, so we're starting off with it, and it's a huge position I need for the Giants. So uh, we'll tweet out the schedule, uh, draft breakdowns on Talking Football. We got a lot of uh, draft content coming out and already out, so really excited about that. So again. Uh, follow along with us this month. Appreciate you guys. See you on Friday at the beginning of draft month, baby. Until then, let's go Big Blue.